You can be seated. The suffering of Jesus proves one thing, that God loves us. We don't need John 3.16 to prove that God loves us. We don't need John 1. We don't need, really, frankly, the entire New Testament to prove that God loves us. We have enough in the Old Testament by itself to prove that the God of heaven is a God of love and his love is directed at the things that he created. Humans. Us. The cross was the plan for, by the Father from the beginning of time. It was his plan. Before the foundation of the world, Genesis 3.15 tells us, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, I don't know about you, but given the option that the opponent I have has a baseball bat, would you rather a hit to the heel or a shot to the head? Right? If I'm going to take a shot, I don't want the head shot. I want the heel shot. A heel shot I'm going to recover from. A bruised heel, I can deal with. But a head shot, that renders you inactive. And what Satan intended to be a head shot ended up being a heel shot to the servant, to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he thought it would finish him off, but it didn't. It only wounded him for a period of time. Genesis 3.15 is sometimes called the proto-evangelicism, um, which means the first gospel, the first time the gospel is given in the entire Bible. And we see right here that God said before the foundation of the world was made, this is right in the creation uh, passage of scripture, from the time of creation, God's plan was to redeem his creation because in God's foreknowledge, he knew mankind after being created, would fall. I mean, you've heard me say this before. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing occurs to God? He already knows what's going to happen. He's in the past, he's in the present, he's in the future, all at the same time. How do we know that? Well, his word tells us. How do we understand that? That comes by faith. Because you're not going to understand that. We are finite beings. We have a beginning, we have an end. That's it. We don't understand outside of that realm. We get into the theoretical realm and we begin to play with uh, astrophysics and all this stuff that we can't see. And, and it becomes, and, and if you research this out, you'll find this to be true, most of what we know about astrophysics today is taken by faith. They don't know. They can't observe it. Who's been alive 30 million years to see light travel that far? Nobody. Well, maybe God. And maybe he created it with time already involved. I don't see two babies crawling around in the Garden of Eden, do you? What do you find? Two human beings walking around in the Garden of Eden. You find animals that are already mature. And is it so far out of the realm of possibility that when God created the universe and all that's in it, he created it with age? He created it in a mature state already? I mean, Adam and Eve, he didn't say, well, when you become of age, be fruitful and multiply. No, what did he say? Be fruitful and multiply. What does that assume? They're already of age. They're already capable of doing this. So God says in his infinite wisdom, I know mankind that after I create him, he's going to fall. And I know that he's going to need redemption. So before the foundation of the world was formed, the first gospel was already in the process. 
It was already in the works. It was already going to happen that an offspring of woman would come and he would destroy Satan, but Satan would have a little bit of a victory on him. There would be a little something that happened to the one that is going to have his heel bruised. I don't know why I got a tickle in my throat. I made it all through Sunday school. Fine. So many Christians believe the reference to her seed looks beyond Adam and Eve to Mary and Jesus. The seed of woman, Jesus, would crush the head of Satan, Lucifer, the serpent. Listen to what Luke has to say in chapter 24, verses 25 through 28. He said unto them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. How would you like that Old Testament survey class? Jesus teaching about himself from the Old Testament. And telling who? Well, the prophets. He's speaking about the prophets to the people that are supposed to know these things. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if they were going further. So he sits there and tells them everything as they're walking along about what he knows about himself in the Old Testament. Acts 2.23 says this, this Jesus delivered up according to the, what's it say? To the what? The definite plan and what? What does that mean? That means before the foundations of the world, the Bible says God the Father knew Jesus was going to die. So many times, the way that theology is taught today is God created everything, everything was good, and then all of a sudden something happened. And God, in a reactionary way, had to figure out a way to redeem mankind because mankind fell because of sin and God didn't see it coming. So he goes to Jesus, taps Jesus on the shoulder and says, well, Jesus, I guess you're the one that's going to have to go and fix it. Yeah, take one for the team, right? That's not what happened in Scripture. And if you've heard that from somebody, that's wrong. Acts 2 tells us before the foundation of the world, there was a definite plan And God in his foreknowledge already knew what had to happen. Jesus Christ would need to die at the hands of men, lawless men, be killed and not only be killed, but be what? Crucified. That tells us that there was a finite time in which Jesus should come. How many crucifixions are happening today? There are some. You go in the Middle East today, they're crucifying people still. Christians are being crucified on makeshift crosses. They're being hung. Uh, But the mode of crucifixion in the known world at the time was done by what empire? The Romans. So it had to be at a certain time that this would take place. So God had a plan. The servant Jesus was seen as a failure. He was seen as a failure. His life ended in crucifixion. Verse 10 says that he'll have many descendants. He shall see his offspring, it says. He will live a long life. He shall prolong his days. And he will accomplish God's plan for his life. The will of the Lord shall prosper at his hand. How does any of this make sense about Jesus Christ? Who are Jesus' offspring? He only lived 33 years, 33 and a half years. How is that a prolonged life? Um, 
the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. He was killed as a criminal. How how is that prospering? You know, when you look at it from man's angle, it looks like Jesus is an absolute failure. However, we're not looking at it with human eyes, are we? We're looking at it with spiritual eyes. We're looking at God's plan. And if it's God's plan, there's a reason that these words are there and there's a definition beyond the physicality of it that's going to apply to this person. So let's dig into it a little deeper. What did the cross actually bring to mankind? We needed a baby in a manger to get to a cross. And what did that cross actually bring? It brought satisfaction to Christ. Listen to Isaiah 53, verse 11. Now, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be, what's it say? Who's satisfied? The servant. Jesus. Jesus himself, out of the anguish of his own soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted to righteousness. And he shall bear their iniquities. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. The sacrifice of Christ was good for God's glory and good for our good. Remember, what is the mode of Christmas? Why, why do we celebrate Christmas? We do things for the glory of God and the good of others. That's the whole spirit of, of Christmas. Whether you're giving away a car on Oprah or whether you're giving a turkey to a homeless shelter, whatever it is, you're doing it for the glory of God and the good of others. The second we do something for ourselves, we have now taken the glory away from God and we've done it for ourselves and we're not doing it for others. So the whole spirit of Christmas is, is outward. For God to get glory and for others to be benefited. So let's look at the sacrifice of Christ and let's see how it was good for God's glory and good for others. And there's six reasons why, or six, six characteristics why Jesus died for us. Number one, he died to act as our substitute. The Bible says in verse 12, he bore the sins of many. Who should be hanged on a cross today? For by one man sin had entered into the world, and death by sin, so sin passed upon all men, for all have, and if we've all sinned, we've fallen short of what? The glory of God. And if we fall short of God's glory, where does that leave you? You're, you're out. You're in trouble. Because what does God love more than anything else? His own glory. Thou shalt have no other what? What commandment is that? Number one, right? Before any other law of any land or any rule of mankind, understand this, you will have no other gods but me. For he is a what kind of God? Oh, he's a jealous God. What's he jealous of? His glory. He will not share his glory with anybody else except for, there is an exception to it. Who does God share his glory with? His family. His family. He bore the sins of many. He's our substitute. The only reason we can go to heaven is because of who he is. Number two, he's our mediator. He died to act as our mediator. He makes intercession for us, the transgressors. Look at verse 12 again. 
right there in Isaiah. <clears throat> Therefore, I'll divide the portion among the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the who? Transgressors. You're a transgressor of the law. He is now your mediator. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. There he is, right in the middle. Number three, he died to make us innocent before God. Verse 11 says, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted, what? Righteous. Righteous. We are righteous not because we're good people. We're righteous because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ on us because he died in our place. He was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. Israel didn't do that for us, but Jesus did. Number four, he died to make us children of God. Look at verse 10. He shall see his offspring. When you look at that from a physical side, you say, Jesus never married, never had kids. What are his offspring? Well, every single person who believes in what he did becomes a child of who? And because they're a child of God, that makes you his offspring, his children. You are benefiting from his new birth. Number five, he died to conquer death for us. He shall prolong his days. How do you kill somebody who's eternal? The heel shot, right? It looked bad. It looked like a headshot, but in the end, what happens when somebody comes back to life? How do you kill them? This is the problem for mankind. This is why the Romans understood if we kill him, we better guard the tomb because if he comes back out of that tomb, how do you stop a living dead guy? By the way, let me ask you, how do you stop a living dead thing that's holy, acceptable unto God? And the reasonable purpose of your life is found in Romans 12, 1 and 2, isn't it? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, you present your bodies a living... How does it work out for the sacrifice? Present your body a living dead thing, holy, acceptable to God, because this is the logical thing for us to do. So don't be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might, what's the rest of it? That you might know and do according to the perfect, holy, and right will of God. What is God's will? To do what he's told us to do. To follow his word. That's his will. To seek him above all others. To have no other gods before him. So he died to conquer death. That's the irony, isn't it? In order to conquer it, he had to endure it. He took the heel shot for us. What for us is a head shot. When you die, what happens? You're dead. You're done. Bible, the word death means to render inactive. If you are dead in your trespasses and sins, what are you? You're inactive. You can't get out of it. You're stuck. But if you're alive unto Jesus Christ, then what can stop you? Neither death, nor trial, nor tribulation, nor... He, he lists on and on. Listen to what Paul had to say about this topic for us. 
When thinking of Isaiah 53, he wrote 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you, first of importance, that which also I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus conquered death for us. He died, and he conquered death. But there's still one more, number six. That was five. Here's number six. He died to share his victory with us. The reason the baby was born in a manger was so you can have victory over sin. It wasn't about him. It was about you. It was about glorifying God and benefiting us. He died to share his victory with us. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil among the strong. Verse 12. Therefore reminds us what? Anytime you see it, therefore, we have to ask what it's there for, right? Well, Philippians 2.9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. What happens at that name? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Isaiah 53.7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before it shears a silence, so he opened not his mouth. Revelation Chapter 5 and verse 6, check this out. And between the throne and the, li- the four living creatures, among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. A lamb in heaven, a servant. The imagery is that of a conqueror sharing the victory with his allies. The Romans would have understood this quite well because anytime they defeated somebody, they would bring the king or the queen or they'd bring the entire royalty of the government as slaves back to Rome to be executed in front of everybody to show that they not only conquered, but they conquered and overcame the enemy. They didn't just get the land. They destroyed the nation of people that they conquered, and they would bring back the spoils to Rome to share and to show off to everybody the great things that Rome would do. And the idea here is this idea that Jesus' enemies are, are accusing him of, of being a friend of sinners, and yet Jesus says this, I'm going to bring my kingdom in, and when I come in, I'm going to march in, and all I'm going to take captivity captive. How do you take captivity captive? Those that were under the bondage of another, I am going to free them. And Jesus says, those of you who are stuck under the bondage of the enemy, I'm going to free you. That's why Jesus called himself a friend of sinners. Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, Luke 7, 34. But if he wasn't a friend of sinners, there would be no hope for us. Jesus was identified with sinners. He was numbered with the transgressors. He died for sinners. He bore the sins of many. He intercedes for sinners. He makes intercession for the transgressors. From the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they... Luke 23, 34. To the contemporaries of Jesus, it looked as if he had lived a a futile life of 33 years. But in reality, his life was the most fruitful life that has ever lived. Christmas is usually about temporary gifts, right? Why do I say temporary gifts? How many of you remember your Christmas gift from 10 years ago? 
You remember that one? Remember how much you anticipated seeing that box under the tree and you knew what it was and you wanted to open it? Don't you remember what that, that was? Yeah, 2011. Don't you remember that? That was a great Christmas, wasn't it? All those things you, you had to have and you couldn't wait to get them and now that you have it, you're so... You don't remember what it is either, do you? It's because the gifts that we give are temporal gifts. They're appreciated for a moment and then forgotten. Much like friendships that we have. In the moment, we appreciate them, but how easy is it to forget people, even in our time period? You know, family members are that way. They're gifts from God that are temporary. We get them for a time period, and then sickness or death or COVID or distance or military or whatever. There's so many things that break up relationships today. You know why? Because they're temporal. But there is one thing that is eternal. And that is a gift that was given 2,000 years ago. A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, who would one day go forward and die as the perfect Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And by taking away the sin of the world, it goes from a temporary gift to an eternal gift. You see, most of us in our childhoods remember Christmas because we got these gifts that we played with for about 37.5 minutes, and they broke. Or the batteries, you know, like you ever get a gift or buy something, and then you get home and you realize you don't have batteries for it? I just did that. Got all the way home, and I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I thought it was double A's. It takes four D's. That's a big difference like a weight size I mean they're not even close I don't know what I was thinking I saw 1.5 volts and thought oh that's double A all right we're good to go that's how you all think right but you know what I got the gift home and guess what it was good for nothing it was a great decoration it's all it was good for didn't do what it was supposed to do didn't act the way it should act didn't fulfill my expectations whatsoever. And you know what? So much in this world will never fulfill our expectations. You know why? As believers, our minds aren't in this world. They should be set on the Father. And if the Father says, I got a plan, and he's been executing his plan since the creation, before the creation of the world, I would argue, and he's made you part of that plan, what are the odds he's going to see it through? What are the odds he's going to see it through? What are the odds if he wants you to witness to your family members this Christmas that he's going to put you around the very people that need to hear the gospel and you have the knowledge? What are the odds instead of waiting for a pastor or somebody else to speak truth into some person's life that you're going to be around this next week? Maybe God wants you to speak into their life. And that's why you're around them and not somebody else. It'd be so much greater if Pastor Joe was here to do this for me. I'm not. You are. God wants you to do it. He wants you to be victorious with him. This is the whole idea of why he came. He came so that we might have life, and not just life, but what kind of life? More abundant life. Life beyond life. Well, how do you get life beyond life? If life is all life, how do you get life beyond life? You know what it's called in the Bible? Eternal life. What's life after life? Eternal life. 
It's exactly what God's telling us. He says, I've got a plan. You're part of the plan. I've given you eternal life so that you can share with others the same life that I've given you. So in this opportunity of this season in which you glorify God and you do good for others, the way that you're going to do that is you're going to share the greatest gift that was ever given to mankind. A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger leads to a Roman cross in which a man named Jesus died and he was buried and he resurrected the third day according to what? The scriptures. You don't have to take my word for it. You can read it. It's right here in God's word. You know, if we were able to travel back in time today, I wonder what it would be like to go back to Let's say 1930. Anybody alive in 1930? Trying to go back far enough. 1930. Imagine describing to them PlayStation 5. Imagine describing to them high school basketball. Imagine describing to them the NFL. Monday Night Football. Yeah, imagine them saying, I've got to get on my computer and email somebody. But I'm going to do that from my phone instead. They're all going to look at you like, what? Like, you are a freak of nature. You know why? Because all these things that we think are important today, you realize less than 100 years ago, didn't get, they weren't even a thing. They weren't even a thing. But you could go back 2,000 years ago, and you can go to a town of Bethlehem, and you can go to a city of Jerusalem, and you would find the name of a man named Jesus. And you'd find out that he was born in Bethlehem in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and you'd find out that the Romans killed him on a Roman cross just outside of Jerusalem. And this truth doesn't change. And it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we could go back in time and we could go to that moment and travel to that first Christmas. There would not be a Christmas gift that we could give at any point of time between the year zero and 2021. There's not a gift we could give in that time period right there that would even come close to comparing to the greatest gift that God ever gave. And that was the son, Jesus Christ. Because all the other gifts that we could potentially give are just temporal gifts. How many of you are still cherishing your Atari? That Commodore 64, I mean, that thing's still cooking in your basement, right? You're probably still swapping out discs, trying to get it to do something. How many remember five and a quarter floppy disks? You know, these are temporal things. These things change. I don't see anybody lamenting, I think we should bring those five and a quarters back, man. We, you never lived till you swapped the disc out a hundred times to do like an email. I mean, that would just be awesome. Nobody does this. But you know what? Today, man is still looking for 2,000 years later. Why are we here? Why do we exist? What is the point of the world? I mean, if all this evil's out there in the world, shouldn't there be something that's, co that, that's competing against what's evil out there? Shouldn't there be hope? Shouldn't there be peace? Shouldn't there be justice? Shouldn't there be holiness? I mean, I mean, where is the right in the world today? You know where the right in the world is today? You're it. 
You're the church. You're the body of Christ. You are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ on a mission sent into all the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everybody. It doesn't matter if they'll listen or not. Seed spreaders just spread seed. They don't inspect the ground. They don't care if, it, if it's peat moss, if it's rock, if it's dirt, if it's gravel. Seed throwers don't care. You know what seed throwers do? Yeah, how many of you have ever walked around your backyard with one of them cedars and you're like, you know, this is flying everywhere, right? Nobody cares where they're landing. We're just, my driveway. Three months later, I'm like, why is all this grass growing in the cracks? Because I put the seed there. That's why. I just threw it. Let it go. We overthink things way too much, spiritually speaking. No Christmas gift will ever compare to the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. So what should we do with this perfect gift? Well, there's really three things that we can do. That's it. Number one, we can accept it. Number two, we can share it. And then number three, we can cherish it. We can think on these things, the Bible says. Chew the cut on it, if you will. Cherish it, love it, respect it, share it, believe it ourselves. And what is our motivation for doing this? There is only one motivation. We do it for the glory of God and the good of others. And if you glorify God and you do good for others, in the end, you're going to find purpose in your own life. Because you are the means by which God is using to share the greatest gift that was ever given with those that need to hear it. And what better thing can you do at Christmas than be the bearer of good news? To be the angels, if you will, to the shepherds. You realize that's your mission today. You're the angels in the shepherd's story. Jesus has come. Go see where he is. Check it out in his word. Don't take my word for it. Take his word for it. You think the shepherds ever doubted? I don't think so. I think they went there and said, I don't know what we're going to see, but it's going to be big. And I think they got there and they were probably underwhelmed by what they saw. Really? A baby in a, in a food trough. But he wasn't an ordinary baby. They didn't know that because he had an extraordinary entrance. Because there was good news hearkened unto them by a heavenly host of angels. And you know what's interesting about those shepherds? In the Luke account, what'd they do? They went everywhere in town telling everybody what they saw, what they heard, and what they found. And you know what? When we see Jesus Christ like that, guess what we'll do? We'll walk around telling everybody what we've seen, what we heard, and what we know. And we'll share it with them as well. Accept it, cherish, share it, cherish it for the glory of God and the good of others. Let's pray. Father, help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Father, your word is so rich with truth in it. It's not hard to understand. It's, it's, it's frankly quite simple if we just take the time to read it and heed it and understand it. And Father, just as in Isaiah 53, the Old Testament contains everything we need to know about the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger, what he did. That the servant was Jesus Christ and the fact that he was innocent and he was numbered with the transgressors. The fact that he was a lamb that was going to be sacrificed for mankind and it was predicted that he would be sacrificed. Jesus was that sacrifice. 
and he gave his life as a ransom for many. And Father, I pray this morning that during this Christmas season that we would not be passive with our, our sharing of the gospel, the sharing of the good news. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be offensive with it either. But I pray that we wouldn't be afraid to share it because there are people, Father, who are looking for hope. Suicide rates are up higher than any recent time because people are looking for purpose. They're looking for hope. They're looking for a reason to exist. And Father, you've given us hope. You are our peace. You gave peace before we knew we needed peace. You gave us Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that we would share that he is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I pray, Father, that we would share that it is Emmanuel, God, with us. And that, Father, the real reason for this season, and it's not a day that we celebrate, we celebrate the season of Christmas because it's a time where God sent his son to the world to redeem them from their sins. You don't need a sacrifice daily anymore. You don't need a priest in a high, a high priest in a temple somewhere giving a sacrifice. We have the high priest, Jesus Christ, who died in our place so that we might have everlasting life. And Father, I pray that we would live that life that's beyond life to the fullest, abundant life. And that, Father, we might share it boldly with those who need to hear, not in a way of trying to convince them or trying to twist their arm about it, but just presenting who Jesus is. And, Father, you and your message is enough by itself to win the hearts of man. So, Father, may we be doers of the word, not hearers only. In your name we pray. Amen.